0: Uh, we mentioned before, Pastor Jeremy is uh, traveling back this morning, and so uh, we are going to get to hear the Word of God this morning for Brother Josiah. Uh, last time Pastor Jeremy was out, uh, we had the privilege of hearing him, and we're excited this morning to be able to hear from uh, Josiah again. Um, so he is also a teacher. give you the heads up. He's got all kinds of really neat illustrations. He's bringing up some examples that are going to be coming out that door. Okay, no, but he's, he's great. He's, uh, we're going to get an opportunity to hear. I, we do, do right? If yeah, you have not, he do. didn't have notes this morning. If you have not gotten the notes, I know brother Moses in the back. He will get those too. If you just want to raise your hand and, uh, it's our privilege to hear from brother Josiah this morning. Brother, All right. Thank you, Jason. Oh, so, yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, maybe next time I'll have some examples. I'll call on some people and have them dress up and whatnot. Um, uh, but good morning, everyone. It's good to be here. And, uh, I think I said this the last time that I was up here as well. It's just uh, awesome to be able to start off our our, uh, services with worship there and songs. And now the one thing is I'm not very good at multitasking. Whoever was uh, running the slides back there, I think we need to get a new person. Not a good idea to get too invested into the song and forget to switch the slide over. But anyway, that's outside the point there. Um, It's just awesome to be here. I I really do uh, covet these opportunities that I have here. And um really just hopping into it i'm going to have you all start turning to the passage that we're going to and uh, before i name the book i don't want you all to get too scared um and before i name the passages we're going to be going over once again i promise it's not going to take that long but if you could turn over to the book of leviticus i know scary right and chapter 13 is what we're going to be looking at here leviticus 13 and so if you could start turning over to there and um Right now, we just came out of the Thanksgiving holiday, being able to take a little bit of time where, thankfully, our country takes a moment to be able to look around and give thanks, obviously. Um, A lot of that has been lost in, uh, you know, the, the busyness of the time. Obviously, it's a good time to have a meal with family, to watch football, different things like that. Um, and then we 'll obviously a little bit of shopping here and there, and uh, taking some time off as a teacher it 's great we get a week off and so that 's a good little recharge and reset, getting ready to go into uh, semester exams and everything. but um, we obviously as Christian individuals know that Thanksgiving is something we should be giving every single day that is something that we 're commanded to do and obviously now we 're entering into what is my favorite holiday, and that is going to be Christmas uh, coming this time around and uh, we focus a lot during the Christmas time on the birth of Jesus Christ, and, and that is what we celebrate on that day. Uh, but one of the things that we always have to remember is the reason for why Jesus was born in the first place. Um, it was going to be from his birth about 33 years later, at, at the end of his ministry, that he would be crucified on a cross. And, and that right there was the culmination of what was leading into just thousands of years of prophecies Old Testament promises to these children of Israel that one day there would be a Messiah and a Savior. And the great thing about that is that it wasn't just for the children of Israel. This was something that eventually came to the Gentiles, which is why we're here in this church, which is why I can stand before you today because of that redemptive work of Christ. And so today I wanted for us to focus on a gospel message, but from an unlikely place, maybe a place that many of y'all have not um, had the opportunity to study through. And so that's what we're going to be looking at here. So we'll, we'll start with a quick word of prayer, and then we'll hop right into uh, what the Lord has laid upon my heart here. Dear God, I thank you for this opportunity for us to be here together and gather today. And Lord, I pray that as we go through uh, the studying of your word and as I present this message, Lord, that You would just be with me, guide me, uh, continue to direct me, Lord. I pray that if there's something that needs to be said, Lord, that you will give me the discernment to say it. And Lord, if there's something that should not be said, Lord, I pray that you would keep that from my lips. And God, I pray for open hearts, Lord, and for minds that are ready to take what is going to be presented, Lord, and digest it. I pray that each and every individual here, once again, with any struggles they may be having, Lord, that you can give them peace during this time so that they may focus here. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so. We're gonna be looking here at the book of Leviticus here. And so this is an Old Testament book, obviously. And so when we think of gospel messages, obviously the go-to place is going to be the four gospels. Um, That is where we're gonna head to. But something that I have learned um, over the years and as I've studied through the Old Testament is just the number of different pictures of that gospel message that God left behind in that old covenant of Israel. Now, we have to understand that we are no longer under that Old Covenant. And so, when we study the Old Testament, we obviously have to understand that the rules and regulations that God gave during that time were for those people at a particular time. However, there are still certain things that we learn and we teach to individuals, things like the Ten Commandments and the Bible accounts and the history of there, just showing the sovereignty of God. And so there's a lot of good material in there, but you do have to do some digging for it. It does take work. But my encouragement to you all, it is well worth it if you take the time. So in the Old Testament, we do have many pictures of Christ and and him coming and the salvation that he would bring. This particular example does paint a beautiful picture of Christ's redemption that he performed for us on the cross. So we're going to dive into this. But however, before we dive into this, I do want to set some parameters, some rules, because once again, when we're teaching from the Old Testament, we do need to be very careful because... We don't want to teach legalism. We don't want to teach laws. Well, you have to do this. You have to do that. This is how, these are the five points of how you're going to be a fulfilled Christian. We don't want to do that. At that point, when we're, just gone, we're going through an entire series of Galatians, we're sending everybody back to the old ways, to condemnation, and we don't want to be doing that. So as we study through this, there's a few things we have to understand about the Old Testament and about all of the Bible, and that's the three Cs. I didn't put them in your notes, but you can write this down. The first one is context, the second one is context, and the third one is context. Did I get my point across? I know in the Bible, if you repeat something three times, it's really important. So context is important, and we have to understand that. You take the Bible out of context, and you end up with things like Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, Roman Catholicism, basically every single religious cult that exists out there, Islam, you take it out of context, and you can basically do whatever you want with it. And that is something we want to try and avoid. And so as we study through the Bible, we need to remember that the Word of God, it does have depth to it. Now, the great thing about the Word of God is that it is simple for anybody to understand, but it has enough depth to it where you could study it for a lifetime and only scratch the surface. And that's the real beauty behind it all, that the individual who takes the time to truly search for God is going to have a lifetime of fulfillment because we will never really be able to scratch the surface of all that God has there for us you know he, he laid it out in the bible but i heard it said one time that if we could truly understand god then we would be god so therefore that does bring some comfort to the fact that hey you know what i'm never going to know it all but it's amazing to know how much he actually left for us behind and that's why it's good for us to be able to take some time to study patches, passages like this so th- some things to consider when we look at the book of leviticus and, and books throughout the bible number one each book has an author we have to understand that These authors were inspired by God. We can get into all the nitty-gritty of it, but 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is God breathed, okay? It's breathed out by God. And so this is the inspiration given to these individuals. Each book written in the Bible is written to a specific audience, and we should be good to really understand that, that there is a specific audience in mind that these books are being written out to. There's a specific purpose for each book, and therefore, when we're reading through, we have to understand, okay, what's the purpose of this particular book right here? And then the final point when we look at these books here, and probably one of the most important points the Bible is not about you. The Bible is not about how can I make my life better. The Bible is not about how can I live a more fulfilled life. How can I find purpose in life. The Bible is about Christ's redemption of us. And if you study throughout the entire Bible and really look at that, that big picture right there, you'll see that throughout the entirety of Scripture, The whole story is pointing to Christ. All of it. The Old Testament points forward to Christ. The New Testament points back to Christ. It's all about Christ. So when we're reading through these passages, we need to make sure that we are not reading meaning into the passage, but we're allowing the passage to show us itself. Let the Bible interpret itself. Let the Bible tell you what it needs to tell you, and you go from there. And so with that out of the way, we're going to take a look again at here the book of Leviticus. Now, when you're studying through these books, it is a lot of work to do it. But once again, it is well worth it. And for individuals who are taking time to be people of the word, I would highly recommend this. But let's set the scene here very quickly for this particular book. We have the children of Israel just exiting out of Egypt. Okay, So we have them obviously crossing the Red Sea, somewhere in that location there. They are now wandering through the desert, making their way to Mount Sinai. Um, They have not yet gotten to the land of Canaan, but the Lord is preparing them to get to there. And one of the things that he was preparing them for is making of the tabernacle for them essentially to create a home, a place where God would reside with his people. And in the creation of this tabernacle, we have the institution of the Levites, the priests now. This priestly order we see through the Old Testament is a picture and a view of something yet to come. We'll get to that in a little bit. But in the institution of this Levitical order, we have a bunch of rules and laws and regulations that we see right here. Now, once again, context is crucial. What we read in the book of Leviticus was something that God gave the children of Israel at that time. This particular message that we're looking at is about leprosy. Now, leprosy is an actual condition. And I can guarantee you that if you were ever diagnosed with leprosy and you tried to follow the rules that were here of how you were cleansed of leprosy in the Bible, you're not going to get cleansed from it. It's not the way it works. Context is important. Just because Paul got bitten by a snake does not mean that you can get bitten by a snake and survive. Okay? Just because we had the apostles speaking in tongues does not mean that eh, maybe I might hit too much of a chord on that one right there. But you get the point that I'm trying to throw across right here. This is something that we have to understand that as we go through this, what we're not looking at is, hey, you know what, if I ever get diagnosed with leprosy, this is what I got to do. No. Look at the picture that God is painting for these Israelites. Look at what he's trying to show them of, hey, you know what, in this situation right here, what am I trying to show you of what the future has in store? And so let's go ahead and enter into our text here. So we're going to start off with Leviticus 13, starting in chapter number one. Now, I promise we're not going to go through the entirety of the chapters. They're really long. There's a lot of stuff in there, but we're really just going to do a flyby of what is found within these books here, within these two chapters in particular. So starting off right here, Leviticus 13, we're going to go verses two through three. When a person has on the skin of his body a swelling or an eruption or a spot, and it turns into a case of leprous disease on the skin of his body, then he shall be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons, the priest. And the priest shall examine the disease area on the skin of his body. And if the hair in the disease area has turned white and the disease appears deeper than the skin of his body, it is a case of leprous disease. When the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. And then I'm going to skip down to verse number 7 and 8. But if the eruption spreads in the skin after he has shown himself to the priest for his cleansing, he shall appear again before the priest and the priest shall look. And if the eruption has spread in the skin... Then the priest shall pronounce him unclean. It is a leprous disease. So we're talking about leprosy here. And um, I, at my high school, I teach health science. And one of the classes that I teach is, is a class called pathophysiology. And that particular class is looking at diseases. Okay. And so the way I put it is that you learn about how the body works and functions properly. And then in my class, we learn what happens when it breaks is what it does. And so we're looking at a disease here. Now, this particular disease that we're talking about, leprosy, was actually a a common and general term in these days for any number of different skin conditions. We have a condition known as leprosy modern day that we know of, this particular term that was given for any skin disease. At that time, there was not great knowledge of, hey, these are what bacteria are and this is the diseases they can cause, viruses and stuff like that. But the children of Israel understood that, hey, if God commanded it, this is unclean, that's not good. We're best to follow it because if we don't, things go wrong. And that holds true even for our lives to this day here. And so as we're looking at this particular disease, what we're going to find is that there is a picture of sin that we can see in the disease of leprosy. Now, I'm not going to act as if, oh, I one day just sat down and decided to start reading the book of Leviticus and I discovered this. No, I didn't. There was a book that Pastor Jeremy gave me. This book is called The Law of the Leper. It was written at the beginning of the 20th century, 1900s, um, in China. And so this was prior to communism in China. Still a lot of turmoil at that time though. But this was written to Chinese believers. And this is a, a, a study of, and I believe it's not in print anymore, of these particular chapters right here. And it's incredible to see how We have some individuals out there that can just sit on a passage, study it, and get so much out of it. And and again, we don't want to be taking meaning and reading it into the Bible. We want for it to be able to bring that meaning out to us. And this is one of those cases right here. So let's look at this disease of leprosy. So the first thing we want to note right here, and, and the first thing of this picture of sin that we find is that this is a visible disease. It's something that you can see. It's on the skin. And in verse number two, we see that it says, on the skin of of the body, a swelling or an eruption or a spot. So this particular disease, leprosy, these skin conditions were visible. You could see them. Well, sin is something that is not very easily hidden. Even the Bible says, you know, your sin will find you out. And we see that if you look around in this world, there's plenty of people out there that are sinning out in the open Absolutely no problems. But what we also understand too is that the Christian individual, when they sin, we may try and cover it up, doesn't stay covered for very long. There comes a point in time where people start to see it. Not only that, but one of the things in the book that they noted and that was interesting was that this particular disease was not just visible, but there was a swelling. There was a puffing up that was happening. And so what we find is that in this visible disease, we see something very particular that many times is the root of our sin, and that is pride. Pride is gonna be one of those things that is going to cause a many a sin. However, pride does come in two forms. Now, the pride that we tend to focus on because it's easy to point the finger is what I call the pride of a fool. In Psalms 53, one, it says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That stubbornness there to say that God doesn't exist. I can do whatever I want. I hold myself accountable to only me. I can do as I please. That is the pride of a fool. Now, as believers in Christ, we look at that and say, there is a God. Therefore, I am not a fool. We need to be careful of that faulty thinking because there's another type of pride that can very easily creep into our lives. And that's the pride of a scholar. The individual who knows a lot. And 1 Corinthians 8, 1 through 2, Paul says it very nicely here. Now, concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. We're going through an entire series on Galatians right now, and that's exactly what we've been looking at, the knowledge that puffs up. That knowledge that says, well, I know more about God than brother so-and-so over there, and then sister so-and-so over there, and therefore, God must love me just a little bit more. God must love me just a little bit more. You know, I study my Bible more often. I read it more often. You know, I'm holier than thou art. That is a pride that Christian individuals need to be very, very careful with because that is something that we can easily fall into. How come that person doesn't do as much in church as I do? You know, I'm here serving. I'm here doing different things and they just show up and they leave and I can't wait to see my crowns when I get to heaven. That's something that can very easily creep into our lives. So, Pride is a two-way street. It's not just for the fool that's outside of the family of God, but it's for us inside as well. And we would do good to make sure that we are focusing on ourselves and reflecting, do I have that? Now, the next thing we have here, not only do we have a a visible disease, but we also have a concealed destruction. Now, this is something interesting. And when we look at the description of this disease, it says here that the hair in the disease area turned white. Now, this is kind of interesting because the color white in the Bible and and really anywhere is associated with perfection, purity. Even the lambs that were to be sacrificed were to be without blemish, perfect. And so when we look at this particular disease, it's really interesting because it presents itself as white. It looks pure in a sense. It looks like it's benign and it's not going to hurt you. But the end of it is destruction if not taken care of. The book of Proverbs, I I love the book of Proverbs, just the way that it's written out as, as a father talking to a son, almost pleading with him. Listen to my words. Proverbs 5, 3 through 4 says, For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. Now this is dealing with adultery, but we can all look at sin and say, you know what, sometimes it looks really good. You know, yeah, maybe I should put in a couple extra hours so that I can make some more money in something, and that way I can buy the new and expensive toy that I want. You know, maybe, ah, you know what, yeah, I could go to church on Sundays, but I really want to go on a vacation here, and, you know, it's okay. Now, what I'm not saying is that if you're going on a vacation, fine, by me. But what we need to understand, too, is that those little ideas can very easily begin to turn into things that we allow to creep and spread and can turn into sin again i've got nothing against vacations you know we have connection groups this evening my wife and i are going to be going to, see a, going to go see a performance at the mccallum performing arts center and so that type of stuff is good it's acceptable but every one of us here can think of individuals who all of a sudden just disappeared stop coming to church and we're like wait what happened to so-and-so over here oh well you know Games started happening with their kids. There were events they had to go to. But the church time, it just wasn't at a convenient time anymore. And little things start to kind of creep in. And if we don't take care of it, it can turn into something that we were never expecting. And it mentions here at the end of the verses, but in the end, she is bitter as warm words, sharp as a two-edged sword. We have to understand that sin is pleasurable for a season, but it always leads to destruction. It's always going to lead to Destruction. So not only do we have this concealed destruction, we also have a penetrating disease. Now, if you really want to hit a nerve with somebody, this is going to be where you're going to hit that nerve. So in the verses in Leviticus, it says, the disease appears to be deeper than the skin of the body. It's in the flesh. It's not just on the skin. You can see it on the skin and it's visible, but this is something that is going into the person's body. Just like sin. David after lamenting his sin with Bathsheba, Penzi's words in Psalms 51, five: behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. We're sinners. And that is something that people don't like to hear. We're sinners. We're not perfect. And there are so many verses out there that make that very opinion, apparent to us. There is none righteous. No, not one. No one has done good. And that is something that we have to understand that sin is part of our nature. Now, praise be to God that as children of God, through the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to fight that. But we have to understand that there are going to be seasons in our life where we're going to fall and stumble. It's going to happen. And for the unbelievers, they're controlled by it. If you ever scratch your head a little bit and try and figure out, man, you're watching the news. Why do people do what they do? They're controlled by sin. They're following their master, the prince of lies. We, on the other hand, again, praise God, have the ability to fight that. But we have to, again, through the power of God, do that. We can't do it on our own. We're liable to stumble and fall, just like David did. We also have a disease that is spreading. This is from verse 7, but if the eruption spreads in the skin... This disease here was something that would spread. So, you would start off leprosy with a tiny little area. The priests would quarantine the person, bring them out, check to see if it was still there, quarantine and bring them out. And what they were looking for to see is if the disease was spreading. If they found that the disease was spreading, they knew that it was a case of leprosy. And at that point, that is when the individual was pronounced unclean. And, I mean, let's be honest. We look at sin in our lives, and it's something that will spread if we don't take care of it. And guess what? Sin doesn't just affect the person that commits that sin. It affects other people. It affects other people. You look at children that have been scarred by the sins of their parents. Alcoholism, abuse, wives, in some cases husbands too, that have been victims of that. Individuals who have been raped. Families that have lost loved ones due to murder. Murder. Sin does not just affect a single person. It affects everyone. That is something, once again, that we are need to be very careful when we're looking at the options that are given to us, follow God's way or my way. Are you ready to deal with the consequences at that point? Sin is never something that just affects me. It affects people around us as well. And so we've looked at this disease, leprosy, and seen that it is a picture of sin a skin disorder that is visible, that spreads, that goes down into the flesh, and that sounds a lot like sin if left alone. Now let's talk about some of the consequences of that. So now obviously we know that sin has wages. Those wages are death. Now, in addition to that, in this particular passage, we have a couple of things that happens to the individual who has leprosy. Number one, they're declared unclean. In verse number three of chapter 13, we see when the priest has examined him, he shall pronounce him unclean. You can't be here anymore. You're not part of our group anymore. Get out. That is what these individuals were told. You can no longer associate with us. Your friends, family, loved ones, they can't be with you anymore. And probably for their protection too, because we don't want them to get the disease. They're declared unclean. Romans 5:12 says, "Therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all have sinned." The person with leprosy did not get to decide if they were unclean. It was, it was declared upon them. You and I don't get to decide whether or not we're sinners. That's been declared upon us. The world does not get to decide whether or not they're sinners. That's been declared upon them. It's not something we can control. It's not something that we can change. Just like these individuals who had leprosy could not change the state of their condition. It was declared upon them. There was shame that was associated with that as well. Now, hopping over to verse 45 of chapter 13, I have it there in the notes. It says, a leprous person who has a disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of their head hang loose and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. The mourning that they're talking about here was very similar to the mourning that was done when there was a death that occurred. Just think about that picture right there. Here are these individuals who are living with this disease that are slowly dying. They know that they're dying, and they're mourning as if they're dying. As individuals who are at one time outside of the family of God, that was us. Walking dead is what one may say. Individuals who are living and breathing and breathing but dead on the inside. Romans seven twenty four. Paul says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? These individuals who had this leprous disease knew that they were as good as dead already, but they were still walking around, still suffering, and they knew it. How often do we look at our sinful condition and feel the same way? Do we have that sorrow for sin in our lives? When we commit a sin, do we look at ourselves and, and like Paul cry out, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And again, praise God as the believer, we have that answer. But how many people out there in the world are living without that hope, are looking for answers? Are we going out there and reaching them? We also have separation that occurs as well. Verse 46 of chapter 13, he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp. Sin causes separation. It does. Between husbands and wives, between parents and children, family, friends. Separation is going to happen as sin creeps in there. And again, it's not like this individual here who has leprosy can decide, hey, I'm, I'm not unclean, I'm actually clean right here. No, it's declared upon them. And they're sent out and away. Well, then not only that, but then when we look at the separation that happens when a believer sins, think about, again, the world. They're separated from God. A chasm that they cannot cross. Nothing that they can do to restore that relationship there because of sin. We ha- there is that separation there as a result of the sin and finally, we have corruption that occurs from this. Now, um, this particular passage here is actually from chapter 14, verses 33 to 36. And what we found was that what we find in these passages is that not only are we talking about leprosy on an individual, they're also talking about diseases that can happen on people's clothing and in homes. Again. The term leprosy was just any type of thing that was related to sickness. It could have been mold, it could have been bacteria, whatever it was. But this term leprosy was a corrupting force. It didn't just affect people, it affected what they had too, and individuals around them. It says here, the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, when you come into the land of Canaan, which I give you for a possession, and I put a case of leprous disease in a house in the land of your possession, then he who owns the house shall come and tell the priest. There seems... To me, to be some case of disease in my house, and the priest shall command that they empty the house before the priest goes to examine the disease, thus, all that is in the house be declared unclean, and afterward the priest shall go in to see the house. This is something that is thoroughly corrupting. Nothing left spotless, everything covered, no way of escaping it. Again, just like sin in the lives of individuals, whether it's the believer who falls into it and begins to see that corruption take hold, that conscience starting to get dulled, or the individual out in the world who is, again, completely controlled, following the prince of lies, following their master. Sin is a corrupting force. There's no escaping that. And so up to this point, we've painted a pretty bleak picture of of this particular passage here. But obviously, this is not the end of the story. And then God, is not the end of the story. But before we can get to the good news, it's good to be able to reflect a little bit on that bad news there too. So we can really know what's so good about the gospel message. So now we're gonna take a little bit of a look at the characters that are involved in this particular passage. The first character we see here is the leprous man. This is a picture of sinful man. And again, when we're talking about sin, it's not just the unbelievers, but we believers can fall into it too. Thankfully, we're not controlled by it. But it's something that we can very easily allow for to creep into our lives, and then at that point, we can be dulled to that conscience that we have. But the leprous man is a picture of sinful man. He's unclean, again, declared unclean by the priest, and he's helpless. He's got no say in the matter. There's nothing he can do. This is all out of his control. He's declared unclean, and he is helpless. Now we're going to see another character. And this is a character that is not named in the passage directly. But if you read the passage through, you'll see, and and two instances where we see this in 13, chapter 13, verse 2 and 14, verse 2, there's a little phrase there that says, he shall be brought. So the leprous man is not going to the priest on his own. He's being brought by someone. We don't know who that person is. But he's being brought to the priest by someone. What we find here is this is a picture of believers and the Holy Spirit. You know, it's incredible, but when we look at the time of Jesus being here on this earth, being with the disciples, many times you think, man, if only we could have been there when he was around just to see him, hear him teach. And what did Christ tell his disciples? There's going to be something better for you all when I'm gone. And they couldn't understand that until the day of Pentecost and that Holy Spirit came upon them. And every single individual who puts their faith in Jesus Christ as their savior has that Holy Spirit. It's there inside of us, guiding us to who? To the priest, just like this friend was right here. Believers that are out there that see an individual that they know that is falling into sin can go to them and say, you know what? I want to restore you. We just talked about that in our series on Galatians here. Restoration bringing people back to the priest. Not only that, but we can go out into the world and preach the gospel, make disciples, and bring people to the priest so that they can be saved. This friend, although not named, plays an important role in all of this. It's a picture of the believers and the Holy Spirit. These individuals are aware of the condition. They know the condition of the individual. That leprous person, they need help, and I'm going to help them out. As a believer, that person who has sin in their lives, I cannot cleanse them of the sin, but I know who can. I'm going to bring them to that person. They guide to the priest. In John 16, 13 through 14, we see Jesus telling his disciples that when the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take that what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit is that it's a guiding light to the priest, to the one that can actually help. And so now the final character we have here, and I'm sure you know who this is a picture of, is the priest, the picture of Christ. Now, the Levitical priesthood in the Old Testament was well, not all that great. In fact, they eventually get switched out by prophets because they couldn't do what God was commanding them to do. They were imperfect in that. But we look to the future, well, one day all of us are going to be under the command, the entire world of the perfect priest. Now, thankfully, as Christians, we're living eternity already, he's already our master. But one day, the entire world is going to look at him as the perfect prophet, priest, and king. And that is going to be Christ. Now, if we look at what the priest did in this passage in Leviticus and what Christ is able to do, we see some very clear parallels. So the priest in the passage has the authority given by God to declare unclean. Christ in his ministry did not mince words with people. He let them know about their condition. The woman at the well... He was very upfront about, hey, by the way, the person you're with is not your husband. And in fact, these are all the guys that you've been with. He didn't mince his words. He did it in love, though. Not only does the priest have the authority to declare unclean, they also have the power to declare clean. And guess what Christ is able to do as well? Declare us clean. When we stand before God, we're not going to be just us there before him. We're going to have Christ's righteousness over us. The power of Christ to declare us as being clean. It's an amazing thing to think about. And not only that, but, and I didn't put the verse here. When the individual who had leprosy was ready for the cleansing, they were still outside of the camp. The priest would be brought by the friend to them, out of the camp. The priest goes out to the lost. Um... We have the parables of the lost sheep that we look at, one in Matthew, one in Luke. Uh, One of those parables in the context of it in Matthew, we're looking at what seems to be restoration of an individual who was once part of the flock, goes off and does their own thing, is brought back in. And then in the book of Luke, in the context of that, we see a salvation message where the Pharisees were getting all upset that Jesus was with sinners and everything. And Jesus told them the parable and said, you know what, it's better for a sinner to repent and come to me than for the 99 righteous individuals that are here. And that message was very clearly about the salvation of that person. But Christ meets us where, where we're at. He meets us where we're at. And that is something that, again, a king that does that, have you ever heard of one? Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And so now finally in conclusion, we're, we're going to get to the final portion of this right here. And we're going to look at the cleansing now. This is the part where the context is really important because if you read through this passage right here, the, the majority of this particular chapter 13 and 14 is about the, the sacrifices that are offered, the processes and procedures and everything. Again, history, that was for the children of Israel at that time. If you have leprosy and you try doing that, not going to work. But what we have to understand and look at is that this cleansing, the cleansing, there was one way to do it. God said, this is how you're going to do it. This is how you get cleansed. There was one way for all. And it says here in verses 19 through 21, it says, the priest shall offer a sin offering to make atonement for him. And this is in chapter 14, by the way, to make atonement for him who is to be cleansed from his uncleanness. And afterwards, he shall kill the burnt offering and the priest shall offer the burnt offering and the grain offering on the altar. Thus, the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be clean. And I added a little bit of verse 21 on here but if he is poor and cannot afford so much. This particular way of cleansing an individual of leprosy applied to everyone, the rich and the poor, for all. And there was one way of doing it, the way that God had said, this is how you're going to do it. Now, once again, when we look at the process that this happened, the offerings and all these other things, there wasn't something magical about them that changed things for the individual. But what we find is that it was obedience to God's command that had the power to, in this case, cleanse that leprosy. So when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through me, guess what? That's the one way. But what about being a good person? But what about praying every day, reading the Bible? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one. Comes to the Father, except through me. Jesus is the only way. Just like with this leprosy disease, there was only one way of doing it. Not only that, but we also find that in the cleansing process, the leprous man had nothing to do with the process. It was the work of the priest. The priest was the individual that was burning the offerings, making atonement. Hebrews 13, 20-21 says, Now may the God of peace who brought Again, from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. The work of God in us is through Jesus Christ. Christ was the one that did this for us. Christ saved us. Christ cleansed us. We had nothing to do with it. It was his redemptive work. Again, the Bible's not about me. It's not about you. It's about that redemptive work that Christ did for us. And finally, we have here the atonement of the priest. Hebrews seven twenty six through 28. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of his people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men sin their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who has been made perfect forever. This is a pretty on-the-nose example of Christ being that priest. And that sacrifice that he gave us once for all was himself. The, The blood of animals could not cover the sin of anybody permanently, which is why during those days of the Israelites... It's almost hard to imagine how many animals were actually sacrificed during those times. The amount of blood that was shed, all imperfect because they were just animals. But 2,000 years ago, God stepped into human history as Jesus, the man God. And he offered himself up as a perfect sacrifice. As our prophet, priest, and king, he offered up himself, innocent, unstained, holy. And it's through that redemptive work that we're able to be saved. That's the gospel message. That's the meaning of the Bible. You ever looking for a purpose in your life? God already gave it to you. Glorify him. Live a life that glorifies him. So the conclusion that I have here, I just want to leave you with one question. How does the gospel affect my life? And I wrote it that way because guess what? I asked myself that question too. How does the gospel affect my life? The gospel saves us, but that shouldn't be the last time that we ever think on it. Dwell on it. Study it out. It's something that we should always be looking at. The realization that a man, a woman, covered by a disease that we could not get rid of that was declared upon us, that disease of sin, we were cleansed by our high priest, by the sacrifice that he made for us that we did nothing to get, that we did not deserve. That's a beautiful picture there. And that is something that as we go into our homes, into our workplaces, are you preaching the gospel to your kids, your family, your workers? Are you taking time to really think about it? Let's go ahead and pray. Dear God, I thank you for this day, Lord, and I thank you for bringing us here together once again to worship you, Lord, and study from your word. And God, I just pray that if there is anyone here, Lord, that has any doubts about their salvation, or maybe they they don't know whether or not they have been saved, Lord, I just pray that in their seat they take some time in the quiet there to take care of that, Lord. Today is the day of salvation, and I just pray that any individual here who has that heart, Lord, that is coming to you, that they'll continue to be guided by your spirit to the priests that can clean them, Lord. I thank you once again for this opportunity that we have to be able to worship you, Lord, and I pray that each and every individual here will go home in peace and. I just pray that you'll continue to guide us as a church. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.